Let us pray. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Amen. Today marks the first Sunday of Lent. And it is fitting that we commence our Sunday-based Lenten journey with a creation story of sorts. For according to Columbia Seminary professor William Brown, that's exactly what this three-chapter section of Genesis is. Now we begin Genesis, though, with another creation story. First, we have God creating out of nothing and then resting on the seventh day. Second, we have the Garden of Eden and God forming humanity by breathing life-giving spirit into the hummus of the earth. But third, just three chapters in the narrative later, God is so angry at this wicked, sin-filled humanity that God decides it's time for a do-over. And so God sends a holy deluge to purge and to wash it all away. And then starts again afresh with Noah, with Noah's family, and all the animals that made it into the ark. Now this biblical story has permeated church art for generations. I'm sure we can all think about those images in our mind's eye. Animals collected two by two. The dove that finds the dry land and then returns to the ark with an olive branch in its beak. God placing a rainbow in the sky, beautifying the heavens and adorning the firmament. And it is the rainbow, the rainbow, that I want to focus our sermon on together this Sunday morning for two very particular reasons. First, because of what that bow in the sky represents for us. It represents God's covenant with all the earth. And second, what that covenant demonstrates about our God, a God that matures throughout the narrative, a God that chooses the power of disarming God's self as a symbol of mercy and compassion for the sake of us, for the sake of what God has created. And if you only take away one thing from this sermon this morning, my prayer is that you hear, whether through my voice or through the mysterious work of the Holy Spirit, that God's love is greater than God's anger. That's what this divine act demonstrates. Not even ten chapters into the Bible is that God's love is greater than God's anger. Now, it takes the biblical authors a few steps to get there. And when this section of Genesis begins, back in chapter 6, it's not necessarily the case. God's love is not stronger than God's anger. Humanity disobeys God in the garden. Punishment abounds. Humanity continues to place itself over God. Self-preservation over holy participation which isn't all that wise of a choice. And so God decides it's time to start again in chapter 6. And by the time the entire world has been washed away, God has a change of heart. And we read this from chapter 9, verses 11. God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature 
that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the clouds, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. This is God speaking here. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy the earth. Now this bow, of course, describes a rainbow. And that's why I am wearing my rainbow stole today. Even though it is Lent and everything else in here is purple. Right? Right? It's very, very fitting for the text. But this favorite children's story is so much more than just an amazing image. It's in fact one of God's most selfless acts throughout our entire biblical narrative. And in promising to never bring harm like that to the earth again, God creates a covenant. Now, a covenant is a contract. And though I'm not sure every single preacher would agree, I will argue that a covenant is a contract bound in love. Unlike a covenant, contracts usually assume mutual responsibilities on the part of both parties for the contract. Um, So many of our church membership work in the government contract space. I am sure you all know this very, very well. But what we can see is that this covenant with God is not like that. This so-called Noachic covenant is completely one-sided. God offers it. God creates it without strings. Noah, Noah's ancestors, you and me, we do nothing to receive it. The animals that were just saved on the ark, their ancestors, our pets, our cats, our dogs, our chinchillas, the pandas that aren't at the zoo anymore. (laughs) They did nothing to receive it. It just is. And here are its parameters, first and foremost. No more floods. No more massive response of violent anger when fallen humanity continues time after time after time to fall short. No more universal divine wrath. The spiritual memory of a massive great flood was nearly ubiquitous in the ancient Near East. And so for God to promise that there would not be any more of those was a massive relief. That flood, that punishment, came because of human evil. And since God knows that that evil is still evident, even in just that one family left in all of humanity, Noah's, God creates a second resort, a two-factor authentication, if you will, ensuring no future destruction. That sign, that second parameter, is the bow in the clouds, the sign of the end of all floods, and the symbol of this covenant that's both beautiful and symbolic. It's worth quoting from Genesis again here. I have set my bow in the clouds, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth, 
and the bow is seen there in the clouds. I will remember my covenant that's between me and you and all the earth. Now we translate that often as rainbow in the modern English vernacular. And if you've ever been in the Chevy Chase neighborhood, I strongly encourage you to visit one of our sister churches, Chevy Chase Presbyterian Church. They have some stunning stained glass windows. And in the back, right about where the Kims are sitting in the balcony, they have a huge stained glass window. And it is of Easter. It's of the resurrection. And it shows Jesus emerging from the tomb that morning in the garden. And in this stunning, simply beautiful stained glass window, what surrounds the risen Christ? A rainbow. If you ever go to Chevy Chase Presbyterian, walk about halfway in, turn around and look up, and you will see what's dubbed there locally as the rainbow resurrection. It's simply beautiful. Now the word we translate into English as bow is precisely the same word in Hebrew that means the bow of war, notched with the arrows of killing. And since it's God's bow, it's notched with the arrows of divine destruction. But now instead of angrily wielding that wrath, God hangs that war bow in the clouds as a sign of the covenant between God that all the earth is forever under perpetual care. According to John Holbert, professor at Perkins School of Theology, this charming image is perhaps in dialogue with the Hebrews' Canaanite neighbors. You see, in their Canaanite mythology, their god, Baal, hangs his war bow in the clouds after the creation of the earth, in a different time. But that's a much different story. That's a much different god. And most importantly, that's a far different outcome. Because for the Hebrews hanging up of God's war bow is so much more. For the Hebrews and for us, this act is nothing less than a sign of the end of God's reaction of rage against human sin. Now one final thought about the rainbow and this divine act of mercy and love is that the cloud rainbow that God places in the sky is not ultimately for us to see. Sure, we can look at it if we like, and it will help us remember the covenant that God has made with us, not to mention that it's absolutely lovely after every rainstorm. But the bow of war that has been repurposed into a bow of merciful peace ultimately is not there for us. Remember in the text, it's ultimately there for God. It says that no fewer than three times in this section of Genesis. That's in part why I've read it three times during this sermon. The bow in the clouds is the string tied around God's divine finger. When God sees the rainbow, God's reminded that floods for human sin are no longer an option. God's main role now is sustenance. 
for every creature of God, every human, every animal, for all the earth. In short, God is no longer a rage-filled destroyer. God is now madly in love with all that God has made, and God will strive with every divine measure to make a way for all creatures to thrive. God's commitment to remember the promise that God makes is an act of amazing trust and grace. And I would even posit it shows God's maturation. And the result is not a temper tantrum. Instead, the result is a divine responsibility that is instead now bestowed upon us, bestowed upon humanity to address our collective sin. As we commence the season of Lent, I invite us all to ponder that in our hearts, and I pray that we all think deeply on the consequences of God's covenantal promise. Lent is a time for repentance and owning the faults of our humanity. Not simply our own personal faults, but our collective ones as well. That's a far different undertaking. Now, the story of Noah, the ark, is one of the more disturbing and difficult ones in all of Scripture. Anyone who's ever taken Larry's OT class knows the conversations that take place that, that week. Yet at the end of the story, God's heart and mind is shifted from destruction to opportunity and grace. And while the narrative does not necessarily suggest it, I do wonder whether part of this is the divine realization of the horror that has unfolded. Alas, we know far too well, we do not need God's intervention to wreak horror upon ourselves, to wreak havoc across the earth. It's not a challenge for us to ponder the myriad of wicked ways that humanity still treats ourselves. And it must be in part God's continuing to gaze at the rainbow in the sky that stays God's divine hand. And the result, since God has promised, God has covenanted with us, is that we are the ones that must act to bring about order. Not because God isn't involved in our lives, but because it is God's love, because it is God's love for us that is greater than God's anger. It's not very fun, but think about life in our world at this very moment and about how God's heart must despair at aspects of our inhumanity. But do you see a flood? Are we experiencing right now divine wrath? No. God must be looking at that rainbow for God's confidence in us God's confidence in us made in a divine image is far greater than God's disappointment. The ongoing travesty taking place in the same region where this text was first written. God must be looking at the rainbow for God's trust is greater than God's wrath. 
church attendance across the country is dropping, while hate crime rates are rising, God must be looking at the rainbow. For God's empowerment is greater than God's jealousy. Alexei Navalny died this week. School shootings rocked D.C. Violence erupted at a Super Bowl celebration. God must be looking at the rainbow. God could have said, that's enough, and done away with it all. But God did not. For God's mercy is greater than God's temper. For me, these continued tragedies of our humanity are signs that God sees the rainbow. God stays God's hand. Because of God's love, because of God's covenantal love, and that is so much greater than God's anger. As we travel through Lent, God's rainbow-colored viewing of the world, the act that allows us to go on despite all our depravity, is matched only by God's own commitment to change our suffering. For just as Noah and Noah's family had a final destination after 40 days of rain, we too have a final destination, one we all will arrive at together on this Lenten journey. We travel together towards the cross, where God, rather than seek retribution, shares with us the consequences of our sin the consequences of our sloth, of our fear, of our wickedness. It's in Jesus' life and in Jesus' death that God proclaims that retribution and destruction are not the final answer. Jesus' resurrection is the promise of new life. And it is this fulfillment of the promise of the rainbow, God's desire for all creation is a life and is a future living in the peace and the harmony that God desires for all of us. So these next 40 or so days, as God sees the rainbow and remembers the covenant that God made with us, that God made for us so long ago, let us repent, and not just for ourselves, let us repent on behalf of all people everywhere. As a people, may we turn and throw ourselves on God's merciful forgiveness, on God's redemptive compassion, because nothing is greater than God's love. Nothing. Nothing. Amen.